You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious the ever merciful. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah peace and blessings of Allah be upon every single person today. The sun is shining through the office uh, through the studio into our just through our little window and uh, we are here today on the 26th of July it is 5 past 7 in the morning and today you are tuned in to the breakfast show and uh, we have uh, two very interesting topics which we will be discussing uh, today and um, my name uh, your main presenter is Shamail Ahmed and with me in the studio i have Mabru Faluk who is a student of Jamia Ahmadiyya UK which is a which is an institution of modern languages and theology um he's a sixth year student uh, almost finished his course mabrufar how are you doing today alhamdulillah that's good that's good love you upon you also that's good that's good good to hear is a, a pleasure to have you on the show today um in today's show we have two interesting topics like i said the first segment which we will be speaking on is the importance of education why education is important for our daily lives for every single person in the world and what islam says about the importance of education and the second segment will be world conservation day which is on the 28th of july 2023 we were speaking a bit about that we have callers for both our segments today but before we dive deep into our topics that we have lined up for you first we will speak a bit about the news and to kick start off the news mabrook can you tell us what the weather will be like today and tonight So today we have uh, is generally good weather in the morning for a lot of uh, uh, people in the UK. A sunny start for many today but cloud uh, and spells of rain spreading into the western areas in the afternoon. Though uh, these heavy at times actually and uh, turning breezy too. Sunny spells and a few showers in the east. And then tonight we have cloud and rain which will spread across eastern areas of the UK. but also clear away from northern ireland and parts of western england and the rain will fall will be heavy in the far south of the england as well thank you for that mabru i mean the weather does seem like it's getting a bit better the sun is shining like i said right at the beginning of the show we can see the glare is coming through the window of our little studio yeah. um so we hope that the weather does stay um like this and it just gets better and better and uh, it stops the rain and one thing which uh, you know th- this week especially we are looking at the forecast regularly checking what it will be like this weekend mm. because in on this weekend and uh, the last weekend of July of 2023 the Ahmadiyya Muslim community will be held holding its international annual convention in uh, Hampshire and it is a remarkable story every time you listen to it it's a field it's a plot of land and within a month they erect a whole city a whole town um to accommodate for thousands and tens of thousands of guests tens of thousands of members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and and hundreds and hundreds of external guests and people that are just curious or people that want to know a bit more about our community it is a spiritual retreat and like i said we are hoping that the weather stays uh, stays like this it doesn't rain but regardless if it rains or not 
people will still come in the thousands in the hundreds of uh, in the tens of thousands and they will come to this retreat they will come to this uh, spiritual um, event of enlightenment this uh, this beautiful um, this beautiful event which takes place once a year and they will come they will come with the intention of increasing the spirituality learning more about their faith mabrur what are you doing in uh, this this annual convention and what sort of uh, things are you looking forward to um of course because the annual convention takes place every year however this year is taking place on a much larger scale so we're expecting around 50,000 guests oh, well wow. so number one i'm looking forward to the atmosphere meeting new faces and all the new arrangements which have also been made to accommodate these guests and uh, aside from that so my uh, role this year will be uh working with the social media team so trying to uh make an effort to show this annual convention online with our guests watching at home uh sort of advertise uh and also uh give them a chance as well to take part uh in our uh, annual convention as well through social media so with regards to that we've been making uh videos following up to Jalsa Salana the annual convention um of course getting our viewers excited those who cannot make it those who may be in different countries who are watching from uh, their devices from their screens uh, we're making videos to get them excited for the annual convention and sort of uh, updates on uh, what's new as well amazing amazing sounds very interesting sounds like you've got a big task on your hands you know promoting this uh, this amazing event and uh, for those listeners if you do know anything about the annual convention or you have any questions about the annual conventions we encourage you to call in on the number 0208687 that is 0208687878 and just call in ask about um what the convention is or if you have any experiences that you'd like to share and uh, if there's anything you'd like to know you can call in always and uh, have your voice heard and your questions answered and if you have any comments uh, you can submit them via twitter and our twitter handle is at @voice of islam UK and we're coming on to this uh, you know just mentioning twitter here um every time i fire up twitter on my uh, safari or my laptop i come across this new logo which i'm not very <laughs> used to and uh, it seems as though the, you know there's a big change happening uh, big change. since since Elon Musk has taken over twitter since he has become the owner of twitter there's been so many yeah. different changes and uh, we see snippets here and there and this i feel like this is one of the biggest changes of twitter i mean the whole logo yeah. twitter the name the logo goes around twitter uh, when you send out a tweet you know yeah. it refers to a bird and then the logo is a bird exactly. and uh, it used to be that light blue color which i was very used to and it was very pleasant to the <laughs> eye and now it's just the whole world is used to it yeah now it's just <laughs> a big block an x, big fat x uh, yeah. and it's not uh, it's not blue anymore they've changed the color yeah. uh, what 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 are your opinions on this bro um <laughs> me personally i think uh, a lot of our listeners would agree as well being used to that blue bird it gives you sort of um affiliation with the app Mm-hmm. Or you sort of uh, kind of have like a personal connection as well. Yeah. <laughs> Especially those who tweet quite often. But um 
Yeah, so with the X, you know, it seems a bit unfamiliar. It's almost as if he's trying to uh, rebrand the app to make it sort of uh, have some sort of relationship with his uh, SpaceX company. Could be, yeah. Could be a part of maybe like a group of X companies. Space Mm -hmm. version, he got an app as well. So that would be his uh, Twitter app. You know, it's it's like, you know, some things I feel uh, you just don't need to change. Mm. are there which can just last till the end some things you know it's almost like changing something which has not been uh, disrupted yeah something something that are better left unchanged yeah i feel yeah, like yeah. this change in twitter I feel, I feel like people aren't uh i don't know how people are going to respond to this every yeah. everyone that i've spoken to has had a negative response to this um i think i read somewhere it was a tweet that tweets will no longer be called tweets they'll be called X's or something like that <laughs> which uh, I, I find completely completely yeah. strange and this you know I've been affiliated with Twitter for so long mm. and for it to just change without any warning without any you know sort of um, yeah. telling us that you know this big change is about to happen here and there and there. just suddenly I woke up one morning checked the, checked the Twitter website and bam the logo was there yeah yeah um, so before we move on to our first topic just finally Mabur I know you're a football fanatic in the football world of transfers and your clubs and what what have you seen what are, what are your thoughts and opinion uh, opinions and you know what sort of things are you looking for this transfer season and the next season to come along this season so <laughs> So me personally, I'm following Arsenal. Arsenal fan here, so we're looking good forward choice, to. <laughs> I know you're also an Arsenal fan. We're looking forward to uh, uh, the upcoming season. I think it's starting mid-August, and uh, yeah, of course, we're following pre-season, following the Arsenal games. You had uh, Arsenal play United, unfortunately, ended in a two-nil loss. But again, it's pre-season, so let's see how they do uh, further on. Uh, I think we've got a game coming up on a Thursday morning. So it'll probably yeah. be, because the tour's happening in America, probably be Thursday morning, like in the night for us. Yeah. yeah. So I think they're playing Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. a very mm-hmm. fun game to watch. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> whilst you have Arsenal um, getting ready for pre-season, along with that you have their rivals. Their owner, in fact, Daniel Levy, uh, getting caught up with some trading issues. Oh, yeah, some insider trading. I read yeah. that this morning as well, yeah. Does not seem good for the club. <laughs> Does not seem good Especially for the club at all. Especially when they're, when they're in a crisis of keeping Harry Kane. Mm. So, yeah. well, it would not look good. And uh, just uh, on the topic of football, I feel like this is very relevant as well in the world of sports, in the world of maybe politics as well. What are your opinions on the whole you know, this Saudi bonanza, if you like to call it. The the fact that they're sweeping in, they're they're offering, you know, incredible amounts of money for players and they're bringing in all the the known players. They brought in Ronaldo um, as, you know, as as that trademark signing right at the beginning last uh, last season. And uh, now they are bringing so many different players. They've got Kante, they've got Benzema. Um, they're linked with uh, Thomas Partey and so many other players. Just quickly, Mabru, what are your thoughts on this? A lot of people I know on uh, BBC presenters and Sky Sports presenters and football analysis, they have you know had their two cents as well. They've said um, negative things. They said positive things. Yeah. There was a, there was a argument between Rio Ferdinand and Jamie Carragher on Twitter. Oh, yeah. They were going back and forth with it. So, w- what are your opinions on it personally? I think it's interesting. Maybe. Uh, 
time for a revival for uh, Saudi football. Obviously, they're they're bringing in big names. So, of course, w- along with the names, they'll have their fans uh, jumping over to Saudi football as well to watch them play. And uh, of course, the money they'll be bringing in, the revenue as well. Yep, definitely. Will double, triple their uh, current current revenue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if they, I'm not too sure if they if they will be qualified. They're not qualified to for Champions League. No, 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 they're European not. Football, yeah. No. So maybe possibly Champions UEFA may consider bringing them into the Champions League as well. Maybe, maybe a few maybe. years down the line. I don't know. We don't know what can happen with know. the world of football. It's a bit of a strange one to speak yeah. about. We, so many things happen, but I feel like a lot of people are criticizing Saudi for uh, you know using the money to mm. buy players, and they're saying that oh, don't stop transfers, have a investigation on the Saudi. But I feel like when when it was happening in other leagues, when other leagues were spending big big amounts of money yeah, yeah. to bring in players to make their league better, yeah. La Liga, League uh, uh the, the Premier League, well. the Bundesliga, yeah, bringing yeah. in so, spending so much money that no one no one sort of bat an eye but as yeah. soon as maybe it's a controversial mm. topic but um you know may, maybe uh, we need to look at it in the same yeah. view um i was speaking to yeah. someone actually yesterday he was saying that uh you don't really see the saudis showing how much money they really have as, <laughs> whereas it's, it's the 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 contracts which they're presenting <laughs> to mbappe or other players no uh, generally staggering. like you don't see uh like saudi have this much money it's most of it is oil money whereas like america you have the billionaires coming out and say okay we, this is our net worth true, this that true. saudi you probably won't see it maybe apart from the king himself yeah, maybe. <laughs> See maybe. the different developments happening in Saudi. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Well, that was uh, today's little, you know, uh, talk about the news, talk about a bit of the current affairs. We're going to take a very, very short break and we'll be right back with you and we'll be moving on to our first segment. You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show. It is 21 past 7 on the 26th of July. The sun is still shining and we are here in the studio, myself and Mabrul Farukh. Um The number to call as always is 0208-687-7878 if you would like to get involved with the discussion. Um, you can tweet us at or you can x us i guess as the new as a uh, with the new uh, logo and the new rebranding um at voice of islam uk on twitter um the topic which we'll, we will be speaking about first is the importance of education and i mean this is a very very broad topic um we'll be speaking about you know uh, why it is important economically um, spiritually even and uh, how it can help progress a nation, progress the governments, progress the youth, yeah. progress society as a whole. Um, first of all, the Islamic take. The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has repeatedly emphasized the importance of seeking knowledge. Uh, narrated by Hazrat Anas bin Malik, may Allah be pleased with him, he said that the Prophet of Allah Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said, It is the duty of every Muslim to seek knowledge. Uh, and this is from Sunan ibn Majah, the book of Sunnah. And I mean, if you go through the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, you find countless narrations, countless examples of encouraging studying, encouraging, you know, increasing education. There's the prayer in the Holy Quran as well that says, You know, O Lord, increase me in knowledge. Um, and just countless, countless times we see that 
Islam encourages seeking knowledge. Yeah, indeed, definitely. Throughout uh, the life of the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he's always encouraged, uh, you know, learning and uh, going after knowledge. In fact, he is also said to have stated that uh, seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. And uh, just emphasizing on how important knowledge actually is. And as you mentioned as well, that knowledge uh, or education rather is a a, a a very fundamental thing of society uh, you could say it's a uh, a pillar as well upholding society because through Definitely. education uh, the cycle of uh, humans when they pass pass away their children they when they grow older they're going to be the ones carrying society uh, advancing with uh, technology as well definitely, and of definitely. course based on their education that's how the future will pan out yeah of course I mean with the advancements of technology with the advancements that we see in this day and age um, it's it's rapid it's it, it's so fast yeah. it's hard to keep up with um, um, we've seen the you know recent in recent times we've seen uh, you know the rise of AI and how these um, websites and these, uh, even though a lot, of the, a lot of them are still beta versions, how, mm. you know, the um, AI has progressed and how, you know, a lot of people are scared. And I feel like it's very, very important to make sure that we educate uh, every single person. I feel like yeah. education is definitely a basic human right. It's, no one should be deprived of uh, education. And we should always be, you know, looking to see how we can increase our knowledge, how we can learn more, and to remove ignorance from the society, to remove, you know, uh, the flaws that we have of, you know, racism and uh, just, you know, not being able to treat people right and other forms of discrimination as well. I feel like education is what will get us over those uh, these uh, these different problems and issues that we face in uh, yeah. this day and age and all the contemporary issues which we face um we are going to speak to a caller we have luke graham on the line um Luke Graham is from the University of Exeter. Uh, he was a science teacher for over 20 years and is currently completing a PhD at the university on educational disadvantage. Uh, the research is looking specifically at science participation and progression from secondary school to higher education. Uh, Luke is a director for secondary teacher education and the lead for science and a member of the Centre of the Social Mobility. Luke it is uh, a pleasure to have you on. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Why, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And how's your morning been? It's been fine, thank you very much. Yes. That's really good to hear, really good thank to hear. So, um, so first of all, we'll just dive right into the questions. To begin, please could you tell us a bit about you know your role at the University of Exeter and what you do? Yes, of course. Yeah. So my, my main role is to do with teacher training. So I run one of the courses for secondary education. So we train secondary science teachers. Um, the, we also have uh, teachers of other secondary subjects that I help to, to look over in terms of sort of managing. But my main role is teaching science teachers of the future to uh, to join the profession. Amazing, amazing. And in your line of work, what trends have you sort of observed regarding how inclined students are towards, you know, the STEM, STEM field? That's really interesting. Um, I mean, 
it, it's such a massive question. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like quite quite a, <laughs> yeah. a, a simple question. Um, so I, I think that the, the thing about education is is that it's it's trying to serve two purposes. So the, the the thing that you were talking about just now was around sort of the the the, the real importance of education. That education is is a, a way of enabling young people to make choices in their lives. It, it gives them opportunities to be able to be free, to be able to make decisions about what they want to do. So that that's the, the bold ambition for education. But at the same time, education is also about equipping children with results and to give them exam results and to allow them to make progress. And, and sometimes those two things don't necessarily align. So it's, it's not always the same thing. So teaching children uh, how to be respectful, how to be tolerant, how to show uh, compassion for other humans isn't something that you necessarily take an exam in, but it is something that is a fundamental part of education. So I think what, what, I, what I tend to see is that children understand that going to school gets you exams and that getting exams allows you to make progress to the next stage in your education. Uh, but sometimes they see a bit of a disconnect between that, the sort of the collection of exams and the making progress, and the bigger picture about what is the purpose of being in education, and uh, particularly around science, where young people are interested in the world, and they're interested in the environment, and they're interested in uh, making the world a better place for, for future generations. Um, and they perhaps feel that that doesn't quite align sometimes with their ambitions um, in terms of, of what they're doing in, in education, in terms of you know, the, the content of science and, and uh, their experience of being in school. So it's <laughs> quite a long, complicated answer material, um, to what, we, what was quite a straightforward question. Um, so, so we do tend to, tend to find that there are sometimes children who yeah. are in science um, and it isn't really serving their purpose because what they want is a different thing from their educational experience. Uh, and, and there's sort of that sort of disconnect between the purpose of education in, in its societal function and mm -hmm. the purpose of education in terms of getting exams doesn't always align for all, all children. Yeah. And so how, how are you aiming to widen uh, participation in uh, STEM careers? So there's, there's, there's quite a, a lot of good, good research around sort of the barriers, really. So I think one of the things to, to be aware of is that in education, the, 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 main, the main factor that, that limits young people's progress is actually their background. It's to do with the socioeconomic circumstances of, of their families. So that, that young people who come from more disadvantaged families and backgrounds tend to do significantly less well in exams and they tend to therefore make uh, less progress in terms mm -hmm. of getting GCSEs, getting onto their further exam qualifications and therefore getting into university. So any, any system that, that requires children to do well in exams makes it difficult for children from disadvantaged backgrounds to compete. So one yeah. of the things I think that we need to be aware of is that if, if you want to make systems accessible, then you have to go right back and say, simply saying, in order to get on to science, you have to get three A's at A level. The moment that you say that, 
you start to make it more difficult for certain students mm-hmm. to access science at, at university because you set those standards at A level. So I think that that's one of the one of the key things is to, is to be aware of that, to bear that narrative. Um, and then across that, there was a, a number of other factors that that make it more difficult for certain students to access university than others. So, so one of the uh, other key things is, is around students that um, who stay at home. So there's a growing number of, of people going to university who would study while staying at home, partly because it, it, it helps with the finances that, that you don't have to pay for accommodation while, while you're studying. But also that then means that if you're going to stay at home, you're limiting yourself to universities that you can get to from home. Mm. So geographically, therefore, if you live in, in London, let's say, you've got quite a good choice of universities that are within a, a, a reasonable commuting distance from home. But if you live in some of the other regions of the UK, then you wouldn't have the same opportunities that, that other people would have. So again, th- there are these sort of hidden barriers to, to the way that, that students can access higher education um, that institutions just need to be aware of in, in the way they set up those courses. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and there were many, many examples of that. I think I'm just talking about with the most, the most uh, obvious in terms of you, you can see them quite clearly. Um, but then there are lots of lo- lots of other factors that, that play into whether or not students are able to do a course and whether or not students actually want to do the course. Yeah. Um, so, so we tend to see, you know, for things like medicine, where there's always been uh, quite a high demand for places, but there was a limited supply. Yeah. So there tends to be, uh, those sorts of factors tend to play out more uh, in other courses where perhaps the demand isn't quite so high or the supply isn't limited. Uh, you, you tend to see that, that uh, some of those factors in terms of making it more difficult for students to access mm-hmm. aren't, aren't quite so prevalent. So yeah. I think, I think that, that, that tends to be one of the issues, particularly around science, is, is that science courses tend to be courses that are in quite high demand because people tend to associate science with good uh, sort of future potential. It, it, it's, it's, you know, you may have that narrative at home, you know, where your parents mm. want you to go into a good job. Um, and a good job might be medicine, it might be law, it might be accountancy, it might be something to do with science. So those, those sorts of ambitions that you want to go and do these courses because they will provide you with a good future. Um, so those sorts of courses, you tend to, at university, you tend to see more, uh, sort of more competition for places and therefore it tends to be more difficult for people who, who come from non-traditional families to, to get onto those courses and so that's one of the issues with you know science, maths uh, engineering, those sorts of courses, the courses that I, I train teachers for, is that there is a shortage of uh, particular sorts of students who are able to access those courses um, and there's, there's no, there's absolutely no blame being placed upon the students at this point they're not saying this because students aren't able to do it or because they're not capable that's, that's absolutely not the case the case is that the way that these courses have been uh, traditionally constructed lends itself to being more difficult for particular sorts of students to be able to give to access those courses mm. um, and you know in my, in my field in science teaching and teaching generally I think it's really important that your teachers are representative of your community you want your teaching workforce to be diverse and you want young people when they go to school to see teachers of all sorts of different uh, persuasions, different sorts of uh, backgrounds represented in their teaching workforce 
because I think young people do see teachers as an example of adults who work, an example of adults who have professional values, an example of adults who are trustworthy. And I think it's important for young, all young people that they can see different sorts of adults in that teaching workforce. So we work very hard at Exeter to try and make sure that we have as much representation as possible, as much diversity as possible within our teaching workforce, because it's important for the young people that they're going to go and teach that they see that representation in schools. Yep, definitely, definitely. And I feel like the work that you're doing is incredible. Um, just just quickly, just very briefly, mm. what, what do you think about, you know, the, the, the UK system of education? Do you feel like we have enough, uh, students have enough opportunity and enough help to, you know, pursue their dreams? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Um, I, th- I think it's really difficult when you're sort of 15, 16 to yeah. know what your dream is. So I think I think one of the things that the UK does that, that you know, does really well is that we, we've got schools that are full of teachers who who sincerely and passionately care about the, the, the futures of the people that they work with. You know, my experience of going to schools is, is that the teachers that I work with are there because they want to create an opportunity for all young people to succeed. So I think, I think that's something that, that we can be proud of in terms of, of our education system. I think, and this is my personal view, I, I think that, that there sometimes we can focus a little bit too much on the significance of doing well in exams and perhaps we do lose sight a bit of the purpose of those exams being you know stepping back and saying uh, thinking about young people and their their place in the world helping them to navigate what is quite complicated um you know those sort of years between 16 and 20 are complicated and and helping young people to, to to be able to navigate that in a in a more sustainable way. So I, I would like to see schools helping young people to be able to carve out their own path more, to be able to negotiate those relationships with other adults, to be able to 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 learn how to be respectful of, of other people and how to be able to listen to what other people are saying and to be able to make their their voice heard. Uh, yep. I think, you know, in, in my education system, not only would we provide mm. students with, you know, outstanding education and, and great qualifications and, and options to be able to make choices, yep. but we would also help them feel that they've got a voice and that that voice has, has value um, of and, that, and that they can articulate it clearly. Of course, of course. I mean, in living in the UK, we are extremely lucky that to a certain level we do have free education and of course there are ways we can improve and there's ways we can you know um, encourage more education encourage more people to you know uh, chase their dreams and desires of whichever field they want to go to um luke it was a pleasure having you on the show thank Thank you you. so much for answering our questions it's been an absolute pleasure um i hope you enjoy the rest of your day thank you thank you so much bye-bye bye-bye Zero to zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. As always, if you would like to get your voice heard, if you would like to comment on anything, speak about education, or if you want to ask us about anything which we've spe- uh, spoken about, um, we will now play a brief uh, audio clip. And um, 
in this clip, uh, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, he explains what professions we should endeavor to do uh, to benefit humanity. In the Jamaat, there has always been a focus on producing doctors and uh, lawyers. However, we have seen the technological advancement happening and how the world is changing. What is your recommendation for some other fields or skill sets Ahmadi students should pursue? In other words, do you see a different need of the Jamaat in the future? You see, I never said that these are the only two fields which uh, our students should pursue. I have always taken, even to the Wakfina now, I have given six, seven, eight different type of professions and that they should try to go into these professions. Even now, in the present day world, technology is advancing. You should also go into this field. Our, there should be our technologically, technologically advanced, uh, um, uh, you know, persons who even reach to the pinnacle of that field, right? Even I have asked Wakfina now even to, if they, and to the MD boys, that they should go to the public service as well, in the government service, bureaucracy, technology, law, professor, research, in, even in research, I have asked the students, I've, I'm, I'm trying to encourage the students to go into research. Even as in the, in the last of your, in your last mulaqat, I, I told you that Khalifat al-Masih Salis even asked that we need 1,000 topmost scientists at the end of this, our first century or 100 Nobel Prize winners eh? at the end of the century. So that does not mean that we should only focus on being lawyer and a doctor or something. In each and every field we should go and we should try to achieve the, reach the maximum level of that field. Okay? Who said that we should only focus on these things? <laughs> I never said. Okay? okay Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. So in that audio clip of the His Holiness, may Allah be his helper, explaining very eloquently how Islam doesn't just encourage, uh, you know, increasing your education, increasing your knowledge in the spiritual side or in the religious side of things. Where, however, it also encourages, you know, to go into, you know, the government sector, to go into uh, sciences, to go into maths and to go into all these different fields to, you know, widen your horizon, to learn more about uh, Allah's creation. And through this, you'll be able to appreciate Allah's creation even more and learn more about the reason why we are created, um, what we do, why we do it. Um, and all of these different reasons as beautifully and eloquently said by His Holiness, may Allah be His helper. We have a caller on the line, uh, Mr. Salim Rahim. 
Assalamu alaikum. Good morning to you and welcome to the breakfast show. Salim Rahim sir. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you today? Um, alhamdulillah, yeah. All praise belong to Allah. All praise to Allah. Um, praise to Allah. Uh, see, I, I can feel that. I can feel that you are smiling. I, I can sense that. You know, the way you're speaking, you are smiling. So it's, it's very, it's very lovely for our listeners to have that on Thank the you. in this in this beautiful morning to have a cooler yeah. in, and uh, you could just tell that he's smiling and a radiant, a radiant <laughs> smile. It must be. It must be. So, uh, Slim Rahim, so what what is it that you want to speak about today? Very surely after brothers yourself started today about Jalsa Salana, yep. I said, I have to have my brief say on this one. I mean, 100%. I look forward to this annual convention year on year. I've, I've been 50 years in the United Kingdom. Mashallah. And from the time I can recall, Fazal Mosque, we used to have a small venue there, is built up to hundreds, thousands, even millions probably abroad when people are attending through our television channels. And I tell you, brother, you know, this is the thing what gives me the energy, the positivity, moving forward. Coming out in the morning, the thing what keeps me going is things like, you know, Jal Sasalana, Ahmadi Muslim community, the mm-hmm. whole element. And, you know, for the United Kingdom, for the people here, is a wonderful thing because when they come and see, they're amazed. They see that from a piece of land, we just have, within a short period, volunteers from... You know, we don't look at levels, but all different levels of people dedicating their time just to prepare the area, prepare the place, invite the guests, have the convention, show the displays, various different exhibitions from IEEE, International Association of Amity Architects and Engineers, Review of Religions, where we don't discriminate, we discuss all religions, we invite Christians, Jews, Hindus, you name it, and it's just it's just one of those events which, as I say, I just look forward to. It's one of the key elements of the calendar for me on every year. Of so course, of course. Just, I mean, like like you've said, you've been in the UK for such a such a long time. Uh, you 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 must have seen, uh, you know, the the annual convention from the grassroots, the beginning, where it was just a, a, a few members. Um, and now, yeah. look uh, by the pray uh, by the uh, grace of Allah the Almighty, and all praise does belong to Him. Um, how the annual convention has progressed over the years. How I feel like in the uh, in the inspection as well, His Holiness, and in the recent Friday sermon, the way His Holiness was, you know, speaking yeah. to the workers and speaking to every uh, member of the Ahmadiyya community and every every person who's volunteering and working to make this uh, annual yeah. convention a success. It feels like uh, also uh, His Holiness also mentioned that, you know, we have so much experience now that we shouldn't make any mistakes. We should, you know, be able to right. uh, fulfill the the duty and the purpose of this annual convention in the best way possible. And uh, uh, if uh, Allah willing, uh, we will be able to do. Um, just just uh, well, one question for you, Salim Saib. Uh, what is the one What's your one favorite thing? What's the best thing? Or what's the thing that you're most excited for this Chelsea, uh, this annual convention? If you were to I just name one thing, yeah. I know it's difficult and I'll struggle yeah. to answer this as well, but I'm here asking, answering the, uh, asking the questions that you're here to answer. So I'll just ask you just one thing which you, can, uh, which you are very, very looking forward to. I suppose it's the overall element of everything. It's like humanity coming together in one unit, discussing, you know, matters, sharing knowledge, 
I think, to be honest with you, the whole package, I couldn't pinpoint one thing. I would say it's the whole element of it. I just enjoy it. <laughs> so, um, and obviously with his little speech and with his prayers and the emotions, especially when he prays for us and for humanity, that is a really pinnacle of the whole episode, which I really enjoy. So, you know. I just enjoyed talking to you today. I just had to let you know I'm on the bus now. Actually, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Enjoy your trip, uh, Salim Saheb, uh, Thank you so much for you know voicing okay. your um, opinion, voicing your thoughts about uh, the annual convention. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, have a lovely rest of the day and uh, 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 good morning to you. Okay. Okay. So goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Um, Shmuel, I think I just want to add. On the topic of importance of education, I think along with education, of course, we said uh, the uh, advancement of society as well comes with education. Yeah. And of course, once people do, uh, you know, they're able to uh, gain knowledge, they can use their expertise wherever possible. And uh, you know, keeping the annual convention in mind, we have yep. thousands of volunteers who do come. Uh, after their education and uh, help offer their skill set for the annual convention, you know, whether that be in the electrical department or the engineering department, the plumbing department, and whatnot. We have thousands of volunteers offering their time uh, uh, trying to make this annual convention special for others. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, with, the, with this advancement of uh, people's education, uh, we see now uh, a new convention ourselves, and we see in every sector, in every field that we see, when you see uh, people coming up with new discoveries and new inventions, and it is all based on the advancements of education, how readily available education is to the wider society. Um, with us, we have Jeremy Turner. Jeremy Turner is an astronomer and planetary science, uh, sciences graduate from the Open University. He taught in secondary schools for 12 years and has been teaching on the Foundation Engineering and Physical Sciences year at the University of Nottingham for the past six years. He teaches uh, CubeSat design projects, aerofoil design projects and basic rocket engineering slash science. Uh, he also delivers outreach to local schools in person and schools across the country online. Uh, how engineers you know, landed people on the moon and competitions building, uh, model working satellites, uh, etc. Um, Jeremy Turner, uh, Asalaamu Alaikum, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Uh, welcome to The Breakfast Show. It is a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot. And how's your morning been today? Oh, yes, lovely. Yes, uh, out in the countryside walking the dogs. And, uh, oh, yes. great, great. Sounds, yeah. like you're having a, sounds like you're having a lovely time. Yeah. Um, uh, whilst we're here in the studio, you're out here enjoying, the, enjoying nature. Um, right. <laughs> anyways, um, I mean, you've, you've, been you've been in the field of education for such a long time. And, you know, whenever I hear rocket science, I always get a little, you know, shiver down my spine I get of excitement. To, you know, rocket science is always uh, something always that we're, uh, you know, entertained by and encouraged. And, uh, you know, we look forward to listening and hearing about it and learning about it. Yeah. But um, yeah, just to begin, uh, could you tell us a bit about your role specifically at uh, Nottingham University? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm really, really fortunate to be there. And, and the reason is I kind of, I guess there's a little story behind me getting here, which is I, I left school without my GCSEs and I just wasn't ready. I was, I'm, I'm quite dyslexic. 
So school wasn't really for me, and it wasn't really identified until later on. I, I didn't oh, okay. start my degree until I was 27. So I did a foundation year with the Open University, uh, and that enabled me to kind of get on and eventually, you know, get myself into teaching, which was remarkable. Uh, and and now having that transition um, six years ago to move into university, I was just I jumped at the chance of working on this foundation program. It's almost like me giving giving something back. And working on the foundation program is uh, it, it, it is a joy because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm going out there and seeing people who perhaps haven't had the uh, right backgrounds. They might have taken different A-levels and they thought they would need to get onto um, engineering and physical sciences and mathematics. And it could be people in care or had a really challenging time at school. And we help those people get onto year one of university, uh, one of the you know, top universities in the country. And, um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of my main passions is really just doing that. And, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's what I do. I teach on the program. I, uh, and I, as you mentioned already, uh, I teach a little bit of space design as well. Amazing, amazing. Um, I feel like, yeah, every single person who is a teacher or in that field of education, everyone that I've spoken to, everyone that I've known that's in that field is very passionate. So knowing that yeah. you are passionate, knowing that you care so much about this field and about education is very, you know, heartwarming. It's amazing to hear. Um, just uh, secondly, what differences have you observed uh, when teaching secondary school students compared to teaching at the university level? Yes, I know. I, when I went into schools, I mean, I, was, I absolutely loved teaching in secondary schools. Um, it made such a difference. You can see those students who come in sometimes, you know, the, the ones who perhaps haven't, haven't even got, um, like, their shoes are just, like, falling to pieces and, and you're making a difference and that, that school is like a... It's like a haven for them where they can come in. Uh, and they might be uh, grumpy and then they might uh, shout from times, uh, but things like that. There's, there's very few students you can see across the entire school, across my 12 years of being in schools, where you go, oh, well, you know, well I'm, 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 going to be, uh, I'm going to be in a position not to help that student. You know, every sort of interaction you have with those students from the, the students who are really struggling just to, just to write and, and, and read, getting them, it, it's just a, it is a wonderful experience, very challenging, very time intensive. Um, you've got a lot of external pressures from, uh, from government and things like this, and, and it's very intensive. And then, then you've got A-level students, people who are really pushing themselves to go to the top universities, the top jobs in the country. So it, it's very diverse, one, one hour, you can be teaching the most basic science and trying to get somebody to understand what's going on in the world. And the next de- next hour, you can be uh, teaching something about quantum mechanics and, and <laughs> how the universe works. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's really it's you know from one one stage to another, um, it's just like you know hour after hour after hour, you're you're full on. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know sometimes it's getting through the day and, and then getting to the end of the day and reflecting on what you've done. Uh, and you know, working with your colleagues and, and, and looking at the students in total. And when you're looking at them, you're almost like tracking them, making sure they're on track and, and you're, you're, you're catching up. If they're not done their homework, you're chasing up after them. But as soon as you came into university, that kind of flips on its head. Everything is forced onto the students. It's their responsibility for their own learning. We're not going to chase them up if they miss a lecture. And it's, it's more about developing their responsibility of their own learning. And at, at university in particular, I plan my own curriculum. So 
Uh, we've got external examiners that check to make sure we're kind of it's, it's to the right level. But uh, yeah, we can just go. Oh well, here's some ideas we need to teach. You know, off you go, and I can just yeah. plan that myself. And it's got to be at such a higher level, though. When when you go into that classroom, you know, you've got to make sure that what you're talking about is is you know based on the current research. You're you know going to talk to colleagues. You're going to conferences, finding out about new research, and then you you bring that into your modules, and you and you make sure you're teaching at the highest level and you really got to be open with the students like you know this is i've gone off and researched this it might be wrong you know if you if you find something different you need to come to me and we can have that discussion you know there, there it's a lot more peer-based the students are becoming more peers than than a, a teacher sort of student relationship amazing amazing and um jeremy how, how do you instill uh, the sort of passion for learning in your students I know you mentioned the enthusiasm of the teacher itself, himself, but what other ways uh, do you, you know, feel would be essential to instill uh, passion for learning in your students? Yeah, I think well, there is there is in in teaching anyway. Um, one of the things you you're trying to do is you're trying to engage students in in the learning act in the learning process and get them to think about how perhaps they learn. Now getting students in particular my field in, in physics uh, and engineering you you need to get some hands-on activities like when you're talking about rocket science so I've got a, a lovely demonstration where I burn uh, a small amount of rocket fuel which is quite exciting mm. um, which it's it's having that wow moment but then <laughs> making sure that wow moment comes along with a science behind it so we go oh, okay why have we learned about that uh, and and that's why it's important to teach through uh, analogies so you're linking, you know, this is like this. So you need to make sure you've got an analogy. So you can say, well, I've, I've done this demonstration here with this rocket science. It's not like a real rocket. However, can, can we link the analogy of what I'm teaching here to what the sort of real world is? And, and I guess one of the things there is it's using models. So the importance of using models to, like, computer models, is using great when you've got an animation on the screen and someone goes, oh, that's how it works. And I go, no, that's, that's not how it works. This is a model. And it's important for the students to evaluate that and just say, oh, well, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Has it helped you learn something? I guess there's some of the things that engage students. But my yeah. most favorite, my top 100% thing to engage students in, in, in uh, teaching and learning is really sharing stories. Particularly for non-traditional yeah. backgrounds, yeah. giving those stories. Like, I mean, in particular, uh, I talk to students about the Windrush generation, um, and, and build in some of the uh, some of the work that the students um, may not have uh, heard of about when the students from the Windrush generation came into schools in the UK. Th their education had been completely different out in the Caribbean, and uh, and when they came into the UK, they were classed the students were classed as educationally subnormal and and that that really it, it, it actually it's just a horrible situation and we're we're still fighting today in education to get over those historical injustices yep. so yeah if you can bring a bit of history into in, in my science or you know a bit of ethics and and link all of those things into your teaching and learning that that is one of my jobs as well is making sure we we bring that history and make sure there's an awareness that all scientists aren't just white middle-aged men. 
you know, they, they come from a whole range of backgrounds yep. and they come from a whole range of cultures. So, you know, I think that's super important as well, just, just an inclusive education. And that engages and instilling that passion in students. They Amazing. realize that everyone has a place in, in this university and in this school. Amazing. Amazing. Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing your passion, sharing your enthusiasm and sharing all your thoughts and uh, answering our questions today. It's been lovely to have you on this show. No, lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good day. Goodbye thank to you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Zero to zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. As always, if you want to have your voice heard, if you want to speak about education or anything, and you could tweet us also at Voice of Islam UK. We are speaking on the importance of education. We will have a short break for the news, and we will be right back after that. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You are joined here with me, myself, Shmail Ahmed. And with me in the studio is Mabrul Farooq. In the first uh, part of the show, we are speaking about education. We had uh, two callers who were amazing to speak to. We had Luke Graham. Um, and we, have, uh, we had Jeremy Turner who spoke about their experiences, spoke about how they encourage education and how are they are contri- uh, contributing to um, better education and uh, he- helping people, you know, gain education, gain knowledge and go into the fields that they would like uh, to go to. Um, Mabrur, what does Islam say about, you know, the roles and, you know, educating people, educating children, educating men, educating women? What, what, what is the Islamic take on this? I think as we discussed uh, near the beginning of the show, it's education is a really important uh, aspect of Islam. And as our founder, the Holy Prophet, with the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said that it is compulsory upon every Muslim man and woman to uh you know go uh, pursue education and uh so the the importance of mothers if we look at mothers uh, uh in islam they have been given a very vital role in sort of education and edu- educating their children and uh the holy prophet with the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him has also said that women who trained their children and looked after their homes would be uh, the recipients of the same rewards as those who were engaged in jihad. So whilst the men would be outside fighting for freedom of religion, freedom of Islam, uh, the women would be at home looking after their children and educating them. And uh, the Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah upon him, has said that they would be attaining uh, the same amount of reward. You know, it just goes to show the importance of education and the role of mothers as well. Amazing, amazing. I mean, Islam encourages so much uh, to gain education. I mean, the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that even if you have to travel to China to gain uh, education and knowledge, you should do so. And at that time, where there was no form of transport other than camels, a horseback, mm. um, you know, you could just imagine what a journey from Arabia to China would be. And it just shows the importance of education. It shows the importance of, you know, seeking knowledge for yourself, for the pleasure of Allah the Almighty. And like I said before, so that you can appreciate yeah. the creation 
of Allah the Almighty and fulfill the rights of Allah mm-hmm. and fulfill the rights of mankind. Um, with us on the line, we have another uh, guest caller. We have Harun Fateh. Uh, Harun Fateh is a software developer who has done a master's degree in economics and has done some tutoring also. Uh, Harun Fateh, assalamu uh, alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show and how, how has your morning been so far? Uh, yeah, it's been a nice morning so far. Thank you. Amazing, How's your amazing. Morning? Uh, same, same. I mean, talking to you has just made my morning even better. Um, <laughs> so just, just you know, going on to your, uh, your, um, your job, your what you do as a software developer. Can you just explain to us what that is? Explain for the listeners as well what you do and what is your role. Yep, so a software developer basically creates and maintains uh, software, uh, that typically being an application or a website. Um, I'd say that there are two main types of engineers, uh, back-end engineers. Uh, these are people who deal with like business logic and databases and things like that that you don't really like see as a user. Um, and then there are front-end engineers who basically present the information um, on the website or the application. Uh, So my role is actually a front-end engineer, so I basically deal with the presentation of the information that you might see on on a website or an application. Yeah, it sounds very interesting what you do. It sounds very technical. Um, I'm not sure if uh, you know all our listeners are that technical, but uh, I, I can understand some of the jargon that you're using there. As you were growing, as you were you know pursuing um, your course and your you know further education, did you feel like you had adequate resources and support for <coughs> what you wanted to pursue? Um, I think I did. Um, that was largely uh, due to the sacrifice of my parents. Um, like financially and in terms of uh, time um, and basically when I did my education uh, almost 20 years ago in fact um, it was about £1,000 a year like tuition fees yeah. but now they're very expensive you know it's like yeah, I mean, it's over 9000 9, now yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd kind of question if uh, I would kind of have the resources do that in this day and age especially with the kind of cost of living crisis um yeah and i'd probably have to like work alongside my education um making it quite hard to get good marks i would argue um and kind of in terms of the above mentioned i i kind of think that maybe it's worth exploring uh, the ideas of apprenticeships um especially for people in this day and age because I think that they can also give um, practical skills for the people as well so it's just something to consider mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, what encouraged you to uh, pursue further education after your bachelor's degree um, so in my case and at that time uh, I was quite convinced that it would only, uh, result in having a good job and like a good trajectory essentially Um, the other kind of reasons were that um, Jeremy mentioned actually uh, with independent learning and kind of really developing uh, those kind of skills which is quite important it turns out to be really important as a software developer actually because you're constantly learning so having that independent learning ability is 
really important. Um, also, uh, along with kind of problem-solving skills and analytical skills, which all are kind of good for actually career and I'd say life in general. Yeah, and um, in your in your opinion, do you, do students usually need tuition due to a lack of support at school, or other or are there any other external reasons? Um, I would argue that it's quite difficult for me to say for sure uh, because I'm I'm not a like formal teacher like I don't teach as a career. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that caveat in mind, um, I've read articles from like the BBC and elsewhere um, saying things like schools are really struggling for funding um, and like things like teachers having to spend like classroom equipment things like that um, and there is quite a shortage of STEM teachers especially um, that oh. being science, technology, engineering and mathematics um, and I think all of this indicates that budgets are being cut at least in real terms uh, which just means adjusting for inflation um, and that means that I think some children inevitably uh, will need extra help in the form of tuition. Mm-hmm. Extra tuition, sorry. Yep, yep. Um, Harun Fateh, thank you so much for joining us today on The Breakfast Show. Uh, thank you so much for answering our questions and, you know, educating our listeners and educating our, us as well here, here in the studio. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Jazakallah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, zero to zero eight. Six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call if you want to speak to us about education or any of the topics which um, we are discussing. If you want to ask any questions or just you know uh, um, have your comments heard by our listeners, and you can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. I feel like I say tweet us, but I feel like that's going to change uh, <laughs> very 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 uh, soon. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Um, education. Very, very, very important part of our life. Um, I feel like personally, uh, when I was in school and uh, high school, I, obviously I don't share the same experiences as everyone else. However, uh, growing up, going to school, normal, you know, government high school, government primary school, I felt like I did have a lot of support uh, when I needed it. I did. Ha- I feel like I did um, was given the right facilities uh, to. Um, to educate myself, to increase my knowledge, but I also feel that in uh, within schools and within our homes, especially, we should encourage the need, the want, the desire for you know the youth, the children to increase their education. I feel like yeah. um, we should really encourage them to. You know, want to pursue it, have that desire, have that fire burning inside them that I want to go to school and I want to learn or this is what I'm interested in. I want to pursue this. I want to learn more about it. Curiosity is very, very important. And to just spark that little bit of curiosity that starts under the the grassroots levels, that starts in the homes, that starts, uh, you know, in, in school. And once you have once you have that spark of curiosity, then you can 
you know you can drive yourself you can find that you know that willpower you can find that thing that motivates you and dedicates you to go and pursue specific fields and going to learn about you know it could be anything it could be astronomy it could be biology it could be you know maths it could be you know quantum physics it could be anything from such a young age if you uh, bring up your children in a way for them in a way that they would love education and they would not see school as a chore they will not see school as just something which you know i can't wait to finish school i can't wait to get out of here rather change that change that mindset flip it on the other side and have children wanting to go to school as much as possible have children wanting to pursue education have children uh you know being dedicated and you know just motivated to learn about something which they are enthusiastic about definitely i agree with that no uh education begins from home as definitely. you mentioned yeah. in, uh just before this as well, uh, you know the enthusiasm to gain knowledge. Uh, you know, I think maybe when you're when you're in primary school, you don't really understand the importance of education. You're like, oh, we got this exam. You know, yeah, can't be bothered to do this. Well. Can't be bothered yeah. to do that. Maybe even uh, in high school as well, to some extent. You know, if uh, you're not that serious about studies, uh, I know I wasn't too serious as well initially. But when I grew older, I realized, you know, like the the whole world revolves around education. You Definitely, know, yeah. you can't get a good job, you can't get a good pay if you don't have good education and follow that with a good job. So you know, the importance of education uh, should definitely be uh, upheld within uh, a household as well. You know, aside from I know a lot of schools make their own efforts, but households as well. You know, discussing uh, with your children. At home, the importance of education and uh, how it can shape our future. Definitely. Thank you, Mabro. Um We are going to end the segment there of the importance of education and we are going to take a short break. And after the break, we'll be talking about World Conservation Day, which is celebrated on the 28th of uh, July. Um, we will be speaking about what it is and we will have a couple of callers as well which we will speak to but we'll just take a short break now be with us straight after don't miss anything You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Um, welcome back to the breakfast show. Um, in the first segment before the break, we were speaking about the importance of education. We had a couple of callers, we spoke about the Islamic take on education and the importance of education in general. And it was very, very interesting to speak about that. Now, in uh, the second segment of today's show, we'll be speaking about World Conservation Day, which is celebrated on the 28th of July 2023. So every year on the 28th of July, the World Nature Conservation Day acknowledges that the foundation for a healthy society is a healthy environment. The purpose of this is to increase awareness about the importance of protecting 
our natural resources. And this important day began in India by those who were concerned about protecting the Earth's natural resources. The Environmental Information System, the ENVIS Centre in New Delhi, promotes this day. And the Department of Environment, the Ministry of Environment and Forest, and the Government of India sponsor uh, ENVIS. Uh, many countries have joined India in observing this important day for our planet. So, Mabrur, how does this coincide with you know the the Islamic side of things? Does Islam even say anything about you know um, conserving the world and celebrating the health of the world and you know taking care of the place that we live in? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, of course, Islam instructs that you know. Animals, of course, are also creatures of God, uh, same God who created us as well as humans as well, and uh, we have a right to uh, look after God's creation as well. Uh, so d- just the way we look after our fellow human beings and look after uh, and uphold their rights, we should also look after the creation and the creatures of Allah the Almighty as well. And you know that. That uh, so that would be uh, all sorts of uh, living creatures and organisms around the world, looking after the world we live in, and uh, the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has uh, actually said that all the creation are the children of God, and that the best among you is he who treats his creatures well. Amazing, amazing, and. Uh, just just by saying that, we can see that Islam promotes taking care of the world, taking care of the planet that we live in. We see, you know, um, in recent times, the effect of climate change, uh, the effect it's having on uh, the weather here, the environment here, and, you know, in Antarctica and other cold places, uh, the icebergs, we see the pollution uh, that we are putting into the sky. I feel like um, yeah. as, as we were progressing, we saw, you know, the use of coal and the importance of coal and, you know, fossil fuels. But then once we had used too much of it, we realized, you know, it is uh, <laughs> in harming our environment. And we should do as a society, as mankind, as the people that, you know, God, God has given us this earth, you know, through his mercy and through his graciousness. Yeah. And he's given it to us without us even asking for it. So it is our duty to uphold, you know, the rights of Allah and the rights of mankind and the rights of this world, to take care of this world, to, to make sure that we are not doing stuff, things to harm our um, our homes. I mean, if we were living in our house, could someone even imagine that, you know, oh, I'm going to burn this piece of coal or I'm going to do this in my house, which would damage it, which would break the walls or, or even, you know, damage the lights or ruin the painting or stuff mm-hmm. like that. We can't. We can't bear that sort of thought if we are talking about our own homes. But when we look at it in the wider picture, this world, it is our home. It is where we live. It is what we need to take care of. So Islam very much celebrates, you know, taking care of, uh, taking care of this world, um, and making sure that, you know, everything that we do, everything, uh, every step that we take, everything that we use, it is not damaging. The world that we live in. I mean, the worldwide head of um, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper. His Holiness says in countless times, and every year we have a peace symposium, he says countless times, he urges governments to take care of climate change, to take care of the world, to take care of uh, the the animals, the plants, um, and every single thing, the ozone layer, 
uh, the atmosphere, um, just every single thing that we are surrounded by to, to make sure that we take care of it. And the, our planet's natural resources consist of air, sunlight, soil, minerals, and fuels, and water. And, you know, these are utilized by humanity in order to progress and sustain our way of living. So currently, you know, there are 8 billion there are 8 billion people in the world it's, it's, yeah. it's a number it's so hard to imagine you know a group of people you know sometimes we see like football stadiums and stuff you know filled out to you know mm-hmm. maybe 70,000 maybe even 100,000 but to, to even think about 8 billion people it's astonishing how you know the world Crazy has progressed figure. as the population has progressed and this number is expected to exceed 9 billion by 2037 which is staggering it's staggering all these facts and figures and all these people use the Earth's natural resources every single day. So if we are using something, we can't just use it to our own benefit, whether it causes harm to other people. If we are using something and it's causing other people harm, then that we are not fulfilling the rights of our resources. We have to make sure that whatever we are doing, we are not harming other people. We are making sure that you know we're recycling um, who you know trying to use as little fuel as possible, public transport, and all these different means, um, in in our day to day lives, There's little things that we can do, little changes that we can make in our day to day lives, which can help better the world that we live in. So, bro, like personally, what sort of things do you do on a day to day basis, or what sort of things would you encourage people to do as well, which is you know for bettering our environment, bettering our society and bettering the world that we live in? I think uh, to begin with, we can uh, start from home, you know. Simple things as uh, when you leave room, shut the light, you have any appliances on, you know, turn them off. (laughs) And I've I've had to learn this a hard way because uh, I had uh, a habit of uh, leaving the lights on, leaving the appliances on, have the fan on. But my father... He'd always, you know, uh, tell me, you know, uh, save electricity, make sure you turn the lights on. So now every time, you know, I'll be, I'll just be walking downstairs. I see a a light on or uh, some appliances. I just always go up and turn them off turn if they're not yeah. being used. You know, yeah. simple things like this. One it saves money, saves electricity as well. Yeah, definitely. Two birds, one stone. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, uh, like you said, it starts, it starts from the home. It starts mm-hmm. from, you know the very foundation of your life, which is your bedroom, which is your house, uh, the family, the people that you live with. You know, um, now if you look at the back of the toothpaste, it says uh, in little say, turn the tap off mm-hmm. the while you're brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, turning the light off and, you know, turning the fans off if people yeah. need fans off. I feel like uh, we have a recycling scheme as well, recycling bags, recycling, uh, you know, uh, packaging and, you know, just reusing things rather than just using it once and then throwing it away and not just throwing like, not throwing it in recycling and instead of throwing it into the, uh, into the bin I mean that that also causes you know harm and it, you know the wastelands and the and the land fills with you know all this garbage and all this uh, all these uh, bins and everything that we throw away where does it go if you can't if it can't be you know if it's not biodegradable then um, like it doesn't go anywhere it just stays there for hundreds and hundreds of years mm-hmm. Um it's just little changes by like using biodegradable uh apply um uh sorry but using biodegradable um uh packaging or using biodegradable products uh and things like that just recycling using less water 
um, and all these things um, that we can do, little little changes in our lives that we can make to make the world a better place. And also, the Holy Prophet, uh, may peace and uh, blessings of Allah be upon him, has been in re- uh, recording that uh, Hazrat Abu Huraira. He said that a man traveling along uh, a road felt extremely thirsty and went down a well and drank. When he came up, he saw a dog panting with thirst and licking the moist earth. The animal, the man said, is suffering from thirst just as much as I was. So he went down the well again, filled his shoe with water and uh, taking it in, uh, in his teeth, climbed out of the well and gave the water the dog. God was pleased with his act and granted him pardon for his sins. And this is a narration from Bukhari. Um, and just illustrates how humanity should take care of not only animals but also the environment. It is our duty to look after Allah's creation. Mm-hmm. Allah gave us so many things without, yeah. uh, without us even asking. Um, I think another yeah. point to just mention uh, is uh, that when the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would send uh, expeditions out, he would send out armies. Uh, one of the uh, uh, rules he had laid out for war was that no uh, sort of tree or you know, nature should uh, be uh, gi- uh, harmed, you know, uh, it shouldn't harm the environment, uh, no trees should be taken down whilst you are uh, going on your expeditions as well, which also, uh, you know, um, highlights the importance the Holy Prophet, may the peace of Allah be upon him, gave to looking after the environment, you know, even when you are uh, outside uh, for your own needs. Always make sure that you do not harm uh, Allah's creation. Of course, of course. Um, with us on the line, we have uh, Harry, uh, Harry Shepherd, um, and uh, he he's with us today, and we will be speaking to him about the conservation of the world and what he does um, as a job. Um, Harry, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And how's your day today? Very well, thank you. The sun is shining, so we're in sun a good mood. Sun is shining, of course, of <laughs> course, of course. Um, just as an introduction to, uh, can you just tell us a bit about what you do, or why you do it, and what you know, what, what, what's, what dedicate, what, why have you dedicated your work to this, and why are you enthusiastic about what you do? Of course, thank you. Yeah. So I work for uh, the Wildlife Trusts, and the Wildlife Trusts are. Uh, 46 charities um, all working together right across uh, the UK uh, to protect, restore uh, nature right across, uh, all across the British Isles. And we also work uh, with communities uh, to integrate nature into their lives. We work with schools to get school children connected with nature and undertake a huge variety of big nature conservation and restoration projects, all addressing the nature and climate crisis. And for me, why am I involved in this kind of work? Well, it's my passion. I love nature. I love being outside. Um, and obviously, nature's struggling. Nature needs our help. Yep. Wildlife trusts are there to, to help communities uh, in, create more space for nature. We work with farmers to improve land for nature and, and improve farming for nature. So it's all part of this collective good. And for me, that, that motivates me to get up in the morning. Amazing, amazing. And why is it so important for us to conserve nature um as in what was what's your personal and <clears throat> what's your personal uh, thoughts about this 
So we, we rely on nature for absolutely everything, everything from our economy through to our health and well-being, even our happiness. Everything is affected by the natural world. And in essence, if the natural world is healthy and thriving and wildlife is doing really well, then people do really well as well. So everything is connected. Uh, we need to, to help nature recover. Nature's really struggling over the last four or five decades in particular. We've lost uh, around 60 to 70 percent of all of our wildlife in the last 40 years alone. So nature really needs our help. And at the moment, um, there's lots of brilliant projects being undertaken by the likes of Wildlife Trust, other organizations, landowners, all coming together to try and bring back nature on a massive scale. But at the same time, that needs to be reflected uh, in, in policy and in politics as well and investment. Um, so it's really important that both governments and business see the value of restoring nature and that we all work together to bring nature back. Right, so and um, what are some ways that the Wildlife Trust conserves uh, nature? So we work with, uh, in communities as I've mentioned, across the, across the UK. Um, we work uh, in partnership with, with lots of different kinds of landowners, whether that's farmers, whether that's people, uh, uh, people in, in towns and cities uh, as well. Uh, we work with local councils, all, all trying to create more space for nature um, everywhere. Uh, across the UK um, and some of the big projects we're undertaking include big sort of habitat restoration projects so we're doing a lot of work at the moment to restore peatlands which are really really important right across the, the north of England in places like Yorkshire and Cumbria and mm -hmm. in Staffordshire in the Midlands uh, we do a lot of marine based projects so looking at habitats like salt marsh and seagrass some of these amazing habitats that people just you know, don't necessarily know that we have across uh, around the UK. Mm. Uh, obviously, um, we're working with farmers, as I've mentioned, to try and uh, encourage and help farmers um, farm in a more nature-friendly way, which is really, really important. Uh, and that's really important, reducing the, the, uh, reducing pesticide use and things like that as well. So there's a huge variety of different ways in which we work with other people, other organisations, to try and um, to try and give nature a helping hand. Lovely. And um, so what sort of habits can someone implement in their life to uh, help conserve nature? So that's the, the best thing about, uh, about all of this is that everyone can play their part. And, and in a way, everyone needs to play their part. And, you know, if you have a, a small outside space at home, even if it's only a balcony or a small backyard, you can, you can really do quite a lot uh, to help nature where you live, whether it's uh, creating window boxes, planting wildflowers, the best thing you can do in an outside space if you're lucky to have a garden is to, is to put a pond in because a pond brings back wildlife, brings back insects and that helps the birds and you create this domino rally effect of where if you do a small thing for wildlife it can have a big effect on, on the wider air, on, on other species that, that tend to come into your, into your space. So it's all about getting involved in projects and if you don't have an outside space of your own then you know we really encourage you to go and speak with your local wildlife trust whether that's in a city or in the countryside and see what what kinds of projects um, uh, uh, are on offer uh, within by the wildlife trust or by other organizations um, mm. there's lots of different ways people can get involved and it's all about going out there and seeing what's on your doorstep yeah yeah and you mentioned you're getting involved with projects do you think personally that there are enough projects out there for us to get involved in and do you think that the government and societies are doing enough to encourage people to you know help with the conservation of the world that we live in do you think that there's enough facilities out there there's enough encouragement there's enough advertisement even for people to get yeah. involved with these sort of things 
Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, and, of course, there are many, many different ways. Um, as I say, Wildlife Trust is a great place to start, but there are lots of other organisations doing that. Um, and interestingly, the House of Lords have put out a report today um, looking at government's progress on, on nature recovery more widely. And one of the areas in which they identified was the massive potential of citizen science. And that's where you've got everyday people uh, going out and, and monitoring and helping to record nature where they live to see how it's faring. And they've, they've noticed a massive potential for, for an increase in citizen science. So what we need is we need leadership from government investment in the citizen science to enable more people to play their part in helping to monitor and record wildlife and ultimately the more we know about how wildlife is faring the more we know about how species are doing the more we can do to help nature recover um, in the scale that it's needed um, and really a lot of the organizations a lot of charities are driving the way in terms of providing opportunities for people but um, as I've mentioned, it's not, it's not just charities, it's, it's community groups, it's, uh, it's people working in their, in their towns and cities trying to get others involved in projects. And ultimately, there are lots of different ways people can get involved. Um, but ultimately, we do need that, uh, that, that investment drive uh, from central government to encourage people and enable people yeah. uh, to go out there and play their part. Because the more people we have doing something for nature, the better it is for everyone. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Harry Shepard, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak to you and it was amazing to listen to your thoughts and opinions and just to educate our listeners and us to in the studio as well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a good day. 0208-687-787 is the number to call. Have your voice heard. Have your questions answered. And just you know, tell us about, what, tell us about your comments and what you think about World Conservation Day. Um, do you agree with it? Some people don't. Um, do you feel like the world is doing enough? And uh, can we do more? I mean, feel like we mm. can always do more. To you know, we could never do enough, uh, especially with the damage that has been done already. Um, it's very you know difficult to maybe reverse that, but we can try our best. You see the uh, you know you know Euler's and uh, you know scrapping cars, that diesel and all these little sort yeah. of um, things that are happening in the world. Um. Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, a lot of effort is being made in and around London. But I always wonder if it's an argument of uh, pros and cons, mm -hmm. whichever one uh, weighs out more, uh, especially with regards to fossil fuels and uh, the demand uh, of uh, humans. For example, for, um, say, uh, eggs, something like eggs. You know, you have organic eggs and then you've got the uh, factory-made eggs as well, which speed up the process. So I think uh, it could also be an argument of demand, supply and demand as well. Yeah, definitely, you know, definitely. As humans, maybe population also has an effect on, uh, you know, the way we treat our uh, world as well. Definitely, definitely. Um, we'll be moving on to our next guest caller, Sarah Greenwood. Uh, Sarah co-leads the project Many Happy Returns, enabling reusable packaging systems at the University of Sheffield Grantham Centre for Sustainable Features, a project funded by the Smart Sustainable Plastic Packaging Challenger. That's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, she's a chair <laughs> of the North of England Packaging Society and is a member of the IOM3 Packaging Leadership Group. Uh, Sarah Greenwood, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good, good morning. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. And how's your morning been so far? 
Um, it's lovely. Um, I'm calling from. I'm actually calling from from Norfolk, and it's a, a lovely sunny day this oh, this morning. Great, so great, beautiful. Love. That's amazing to hear. I hope you have. I hope the rest of your day is lovely too. Um, so, what do you do? What What is Many Happy Returns? Can you tell us about the project and what your role is? Okay, so so you, you've heard that Many Happy Returns is part of the. I can't say either. I've been trying to say it for three years. Part of the Smart Sustainable Plastics Packaging Challenge, and and what that's about is finding alternative ways to single use to, to single use plastic. Um, we're not anti-plastic. Plastic is an amazing material and does amazing things. I mean, you, you can't see me now, but I'm wearing glasses made of plastic lenses. Amazing. A lot of light. A lot of life-saving medical equipment relies on plastics, and, and it can be used as a tool in the fight against climate change because it makes, if you make components in vehicles out of plastic rather than metal, I mean, when, when I was a child, car bumpers were, were all made of metal, and now, now they're all plastic. It's that general lightweighting of vehicles help, helps reduce emissions. Yeah. But especially with packaging, because we use so much of it, we're not managing the waste properly and we don't have a circular economy for plastics. And so actually by introducing reusable packaging, if, if you have a container that's used 20 times, the amount of resource, so the amount of raw material and the amount of waste you create is just 5% of what it would have been if you'd have just used that container once. So reuse can be a really effective way of minimising resource use and reducing waste. But also, um, we know that it, 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 it's not mainstream yet. And so actually, the, the whole purpose of Many Happy Returns is our overarching research question is, what do we need to do to make reusable plastic packaging mainstream? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just one person. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Go, go, go. Please go. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just one person. I just represent a, a, a large team. There's 18 of us, senior academics, researchers, and support staff, and we work across the university. So it's the, the University of Sheffield, um, the Grantham Centre for Sustainable Futures, yeah. and we, I have colleagues from chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, psychology. Um, Geography, who look at, at look at human behaviour, um, li linguistics as well. So people who look at the use of language and how we can change the use of language. So it's this whole multidisciplinary project. Um, and yeah, it's it's been an amazing couple of years. Um, and um, sorry, I've not explained that very well, but I'm sure you'll you'll um, ask me some questions. We understand. Yeah, we've got we've got further questions. We've got a lot to talk about. Don't worry. And uh, I mean, it's it's just it's just a sign of your humility, saying that other there's so many other people doing this as well, and it's not just you. We understand, but it's just a sign of your humility. It's amazing to see the work that you're doing and uh, the research that you've done. And I feel like you'll be proud of me, knowing that you know whenever we have. Um, we finish a tub of ice cream or, or we finish a tub of yogurt we don't we don't throw it away we wash it and put it in a separate uh, storage place where we can reuse it for you know lunches right. for yeah. a different day so I hope you're proud of me for that oh I am definitely yeah. <laughs> great 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 uh, just coming back to you know your work with many happy returns uh, what what sort of research uh, have have you conducted or has your team conducted so um, oh it's there is so much to talk about. Um, uh, it's difficult to know where to start. Um, but say the psychology team, um, obviously, if you have a, a piece of, of um, packaging and it, you use it 
it gets sent back, gets washed and then sent out to, to, to somebody else to use. Um, it's going to wear over time. So the, the psychology team, they've come up with a, a method to, to check the amount of wear that we as, we as consumers are, are, are willing to accept. And um, there's no spoilers here. We, we don't like wear and tear. We like things to look perfect. So the next stage of their work is to say, OK, well, what can we do to persuade people that, that actually a little bit of wear and tear isn't harmful? Um, how, how, can we, how can we position, how can we frame our communications to, to, to increase uptake that way? Um, something that I've really, really enjoyed being involved with is we've actually within our cafes at the university we've been running a a, a, a borrowing scheme for um, oh, takeaway takeaway meals so containers for takeaway meals mm -hmm. and takeaway cups as well so you might be familiar with taking your own cup to a to a cafe and and um, if you remember it and um, and getting them to fill it in there but in in this trial what we've actually been doing is. Uh, people download an app, um, and it's free to borrow a, a, a cup, which you which you can keep for two weeks, and then and then return free of charge. If you go over the two weeks, you you get fined. It's a bit like um, I was going to say it's a bit like taking a library book out, but um, a, a lot of people don't do library books anymore. Um, and yeah, and, and and that's been really interesting because we've been able to use that as a living lab for all our various researchers to to do research around. Amazing, amazing. Mm. And so, what are what are some items that people can reuse that are often thrown away? So, um, well, I, I I think we should throw this out to your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, definitely is for them and for us. <laughs> yeah, um, I I think everybody I know has got a a a biscuit tin. Oh, biscuit definitely. tin that used to contain luxury biscuits and and now you either use it to keep your ordinary biscuits in or, or keep um keep um odds and ends in the shed or something like that um the thing that i like and and you spoke about your um your ice cream containers exactly the same yeah. for me with with takeaway containers they're yeah. they're brilliant you know they shouldn't be single use i i use them for um, I, I, I batch cook and I, I use them to, to um, freeze stuff in and then also um, for DIY as well once they've got a bit too worn to do that with excuse me I'll, um, I'll uh, use them to pour paint in to do, yeah. to do DIY with so I don't have to yeah, um, yeah. So I don't have to use a, a big can all at once so, and, and I think in our research as well over the years we've found that there are people that are are absolutely serious very very serious about zero waste so absolutely yeah. minimizing their effect on the environment and those people will find a use for anything um and and um uh, you know even the humble crisp packet there's a wonderful wonderful organization i can't can't remember their name the crisp packet project i mm -hmm. think they're somewhere in the south of england and what they do is they collect crisp packets which at the moment, you can't recycle. You know, there's, there's, there's work being done to be able to recycle them. And what they do is they um, plastic, plastic, plastic melts um, so you can seal it to itself. And what they do is they, they ask people to really, really carefully wash their crisp packets, send them to them. 
and they actually seal them together as um, as blankets to give out to the homeless, which I think is absolutely incredible. Oh, wow. um, in terms of waste management, from a waste management perspective, I, I, I don't think it's probably a cost or an environmentally effective way of, of dealing with all of um, the world's crisp packets, but it just goes to show how um, something so simple can, can, can do something so kind and helpful to other yeah, people. can be used in any sort of way, yeah. And um, how is reusing plastic better than recycling? Well, that, that's, that's a really, really interesting question because... Um, you have to excuse me. I'll just look at my notes. <laughs> That's okay. I've 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 just been I've just been riffing. I've not been looking at my notes. So there we go. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So right, plastic is really complicated because although we call it plastic, it actually covers a, a class of hundreds of different materials. PVC. Now, yeah, PVC. Yeah. Um, Reminding uh, me of my science lessons. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or oh, absolutely hundreds. There's there's about six main plastics used in packaging, and even the ones that look feel similar um, are incompatible with each other. So so they have to be sorted, um, sorted and collected, um, and then reprocessed. And when they're reprocessed, um, plastics, um, most packaging plastics will. Um, will melt or, or become soft when they're heated. And, and that's how they recycle them. They, they chop them up into bits, reheat them, turn them into, turn them into little pellets, and those, those pellets are used as the raw material to use again. Now, each of those different materials are incompatible. So if you melted them all together, you wouldn't get a useful material. You'd, you'd, get, you'd get something a bit like cheese. So, so, so it, there's an enormous amount of energy and and time and transport involved in in recycling plastic um whereas reuse you're not having to break the container down there, there are processing there, uh, depending on the, the kind of reuse so if, if you're just refilling a container at home in a, in a refill store then it's down to you to wash it at home or it or it could be rewashed as part of an industrial washing system which isn't breaking down the material it's just washing it so so there are there, there are there are definite benefits to reuse over recycling oh, amazing amazing and do you think that the the government the world is doing enough to educate us or just inform us or tell us to you know reuse and recycle and do you think there could be more done or do you think it's not uh, as in there's, there's a substantial amount of information out there I think um, in the UK, there's. Uh, <laughs> if you, you see the news yesterday, they've they've delayed some 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 recycling legislation. Um, that there is a, a suite of legislation coming through in the UK that's there mainly for companies to make companies liable to recycle the packaging. So that the focus is very very much on recycling. And and yes. There isn't enough focus on reuse, and mm -hmm. and I think I think there should be, um, and I think um, we know from our research that people are willing to engage in reuse systems if they exist. So it's a case of, um, you know, if if you if you put it in place, then people will start using it. But companies are a little bit hesitant. There there there, there is a lot of research going in, in within companies, not just academic research like, like ourselves, although we do work with a lot of external companies. Yeah. 
Um, so definitely, I, I think there could be a, a much, much bigger push towards reusable packaging. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on The Breakfast Show. It was lovely to have you get, giving us a bit of an insight about recycling and reusing especially. I hope our listeners took that in and will you know, uh, embed that into their day-to-day lives. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to speak today. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Please call in to have your voice heard, um, and you can also tweet us at the voice uh, at Voice of Islam UK. Um, now I will be playing an audio clip of uh, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. He is the head of, head of the worldwide um, Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and in this clip he explains how we can lessen the impact of climate change. He also emphasizes the importance of looking after the environment by cycling and utilizing renewable energy and help sustain our earth. You should try to avoid using your car while traveling for a short distance. Either walk to that place or use bicycle. Hmm? Right? Yeah. Cycling is good for your health as well. Secondly, Every MD should make it a point that he should plant two trees every year. This is how you can fight climate change. If you are here, if we have 30,000 MDs here in the UK or more, then every year we plant 60,000 trees. If not possible here, then those who travel to other countries, they can plant trees there. So in this way, we can help control climate change. So very, you know, beautifully put by His Holiness, may Allah be his helper, that, you know, it's just the simple things. I mean, planting a tree doesn't require that much effort. It's very, you know, readily available, uh, planting trees. Mm. Um, and we can all do that. He said that if 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 we were to plant one tree a year, you know, you take take one day, take a couple hours even, or maybe even one hour out of three hundred sixty five days of the year to plant a tree, that can help fight climate change. And just little things about if you're traveling a short distance, you know, walk instead of driving a car. Mm-hmm. Um, the use of uh, public transport as well is very good compared to, I mean, if 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 uh, like 100 people can fit on, you know, a bus or maybe maybe 100 is a bit too much, maybe around 60, 50 to 60 people. That's producing 50, 60 cars from the road if, if one person travels alone on the car or to do public transport. I mean, that is the difference uh, one can make in climate change. And mm-hmm. uh, we do also do a show uh, on The Breakfast Show. We speak about, um, uh, and on the drive time, we speak about the conditions of bed recently. Uh, you know, uh, Shajil Ahmed, he's been speaking about the different conditions of bed. And one condition of bed, uh, which is, you know, the bed is actually, you know, uh, our pledge of allegiance to the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which Ahmadis, uh, Ahmadi Muslims take. And number four uh, on that uh, is that he or she shall not inflict injury on any of Allah's creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, cr- creatures is uh, the wider term for everything that Allah the Almighty has created. Um, animals um, and, you know, just trees and plants and 
uh, greenery, just damaging the environment that we live in. We have to make sure that we uh, stay away from that. And Islam gives guidance on climate change uh, and environmental issues. Uh, it is evidence from the Hadith of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that Muslims have a religious duty to safeguard the world's natural environments. For instance, the Holy Prophet um, said, the world is sweet and green. And verily, Allah has appointed you as a, represent, a representative and trustee over it. In line with this teaching, Islam you know, has also pro- uh, prohibited the wastage of all natural resources and their excessive consumption. Uh, we see today that water scar- uh, scarcity and food shortages uh, have become major problems due to our ex- uh, ex- uh, exploited use of the planet's precious resources. Um, but Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran that eat and drink but exceed not the bounds. Surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds. And Allah also instructs us to you know, not focus on extravagance and to share the benefit of everything that he has bestowed upon man. And he it is who brings into being gardens, trellised uh, and untrellised, uh, the date palm, and cornfields whose fruit are of diverse kinds, and the olive and the pomegranate alike and unalike, eat uh, of the fruit of which, when it bears fruit, pay, uh, but pay his due on the day of harvest, and exceed not uh, the bounds. Surely Allah loves not those who exceed the bounds. And just in regards to this, the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Olivia Pondo, set a golden rule. He stated, don't waste water even if you were by a running river. I mean, it just goes to show the emphasis of taking care of the environment, the emphasis of taking care of Allah's creation, of what we are given in this world. Um, we, the callers as well spoke about how we can help protect the world, how we can reuse, recycle, how important it is to take care of you know the world and uh, the world that we live in, the wildlife and every single thing mm. that uh, surrounds us. Um, it's very, very important to remember this is part of uh, our faith as Muslims as well. Uh, it's very important uh, to make sure that we take care of the environment. And uh, that is the message that we leave you with in this segment. Um, we have reached the end of uh, today's breakfast show. Thank you to all our listeners uh, for tuning in and our experts for taking time out to discuss the topics of us. The acknowledgements go towards the, uh, the production team uh, and the Mursahid Tahir and the researchers who are Maria Sheikh, Tamsila Khurram, uh, Mahra Khala uh, Ahmed and Tanzil Khurram. Thank you so much for uh, getting the show ready. Um, it is about to reach 9 o'clock where we will leave you for the news. Uh, from me in the studio, Shemal Ahmed and Mabrul Farouk, uh, have a lovely day. Thank you again for joining us on The Breakfast Show today. Uh, we hope that you tune in again. Here is the news. <laughs> 